But the Word of God is powerful. And uh, the more that you dig into the Word of God, the more that you will see that the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said, guides you into all truth, and who teaches you about the things of God, Jesus said He will do that. He shows things to you the deep mysteries of God, and he brings the word of God to you in ways that you've never seen it. You can read one thing and have known that scripture your entire life, and then all of a sudden you look at it, and the Holy Spirit brings a different light and context onto what you just read. That's really what happened in this passage of scripture, because it, even when the Lord brought this to my heart, I thought, you know, I, I knew this story, heard it, many many times and uh, and yet this particular emphasis just jumped out at me and I knew this was what I was supposed to share what I want to talk about this morning is you knew you knew Daniel chapter 5 Daniel chapter 5 if you've heard this story then you'll know where it typically goes and it's a powerful story there's more to this story than we have time to read because it actually covers a few chapters. But I want to cover a portion of this this morning. Daniel chapter 5, verse number 1, I'm reading out of the NIV. It says this, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles. This is no small gathering. A thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Verse 5. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, Near the lampstand in the royal palace, the king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom then all the king's wise men came in but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant so king belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale his nobles were baffled the queen hearing the voices of the king and his nobles came into the banquet hall May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has, spent, who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. 
In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. Verse 13. So Daniel was brought before the king and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have inside intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave him. All the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like an ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. Verse 22 but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. You knew. There's no doubt in my mind that many, if not all of us here, have had lapses in good judgment. If you think back for a moment to even your childhood and remember a bad choice that brought on consequences that you didn't want, I'm sure you could probably come up with a few. Even as adults, we have made some poor decisions that we should not have made, and we had the personal knowledge, we had the sound of advice from people who loved us and cared about us, but yet we chose to go a different direction. We can look back now and say, I knew better, but I did it anyway. You knew, but you still went down the wrong path. How many's ever been there? I think probably every hand could probably be raised. Sure. I'm just thankful that when I did most of my stupid stuff, we didn't have internet. I'm just saying. Because once it's out there, it's out there forever. It never, go, it never comes back. 
There's no way to go back and we can change any of those decisions and we must not get caught up in mulling over regrets about what was and what could have been. And I want to just stop for just a moment. This isn't in my notes, but it just came to my mind. I, I just want to encourage you to not let the pain of your past cripple you now and where God intends for you to go. And if the enemy of your soul can do that, that's what he will do. He will get you caught up in so much regret and so much, um, so much turmoil over decisions that you have made that you can't change right now. And if he can get you wrapped up in your past, he will cripple you from anywhere that God wants to take you because you'll be so involved in that. When you come to Jesus Christ, it's a clean slate. Amen. All that is gone. You need to let Amen. it go. Amen. The most important things are the things of God and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is absolutely nothing that will have a more significant and eternal impact on your life than having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the most important decision that you can make, bar none. The story of Belshazzar is a sad story of a king who knew better, but he did what he wanted to do anyway. This was not just a moment that he was caught up in and that went horribly wrong. But it was the result of a life that he lived in arrogance, pride, and selfishness. That's how he lived. If we look at verse number 2, it says, While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And I just want to pause there. The scripture says his father, Nebuchadnezzar, but in this translation, in, in the original, there's not a word for father. Nebuchadnezzar was not his actual birth father, but Nebuchadnezzar was his grandfather. Nebuchadnezzar was his grandfather. This event took place 22 years after the death of the 44-year reign of Nebuchadnezzar. So just to give you a timeline here, 22 years after Nebuchadnezzar's reign is when this story takes place. We read that they, verse 3, they had, that, that they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. That was significant. And... and they drank from them. And verse 4 says they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, wood, iron, and stone. These sacred vessels that had been in the service in the temple in Jerusalem, they had been captured by Nebuchadnezzar when he went there 70 years before and he brought the Israelites captive. And you read about that, you know, that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all included with all the other captives, were, were taken captive from Jerusalem. These articles from the temple were brought at that time. But all the while, during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, those articles were not used like they were used here. These vessels were designed only to be used by the Levitical priests as they ministered in the temple of the one true God. But now Belshazzar who knew of the history of them, and he knew their significance, would profane their use by brandishing his fist toward the one true God of heaven and earth and use them as he and his guests worshipped the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. He knew better, but he did it anyway. 
Verse 20 says, but when he, his, his, uh, when he, his heart, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, his heart became arrogant with pride. Arrogant and hardened with pride. In verse 20, that's really what the story was. He was deposed from his royal throne. This same behavior happened with Nebuchadnezzar. And God took him out of power. Verse 21 says he was driven away from people. He lived like a wild animal. He ate grass. His, his hair and his nails grew long. He was pretty much out of his mind. He had the mind of an animal. And people thought, well, that's our king right over there. You know? I mean, he's like just out of it. And he, it wasn't that he lost his mind. It's that God took away from him what was important to him so he could teach him who God really is. Let's hear what Belshazzar's grandfather said in his own words about what happened to him. If you look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, this is the words of Nebuchadnezzar. He said, at the end of that time, talking about when he had lost his mind as an animal and lived that way, he said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His opinion changed of the one true God. And, he, and Nebuchadnezzar goes on to say this. In this revelation that he had found God, he said, His dominion is an eternal dominion. An eternal dominion. Meaning that God is not just God now, of here and now in this circumstance. He's God everywhere, all the time, eternally. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And he realized this is, this is a short time on earth that we as humans have. And this king is saying, I understand and realize that before I came, there was God. While I'm here, there is God. And when I'm gone, there will be God. Because his dominion and his rule is forever and eternal. Verse 35, he said, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold his hand back or say to him, what have you done? Verse 36, at that same time, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than ever before. That is important for us to realize that this king who had turned his back on God, and God dealt with him and put him in a place where he never really wanted to go until he realized who, who God really is. And he said, now God has put me in a place that was greater than I ever was before. In verse 37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. All those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Verse 22 of our text. But you, Belshazzar's son, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. You knew all of this that we just read. Belshazzar knew better, but he did it anyway. Daniel told him, you knew. 
And yet you still blatantly disregarded the God of the universe. There are people today, perhaps listening to this message, in the position of your pride, the self-centered desires of your heart are pulling you in a direction away from God. You have the knowledge about God. There are even godly influences that are available to you. And you may have even had a godly heritage that has poured into your life that you can point to and you can relate to the things of God. But as long as you allow the pull of the world and others' ungodly influences and your own sinful desires to draw you away from God, there will come a time when you are faced with making a conscious decision about your eternity. Some might say, I'll never dishonor God the way that Belshazzar did, blatantly disrespecting what is holy. Can I tell you that hell is full of people who thought and said the same thing, but pride and selfish ambition caused them to either decide to give it up, to, to, to either decide to give it up, or they just turned away from God altogether. Romans 2, verse number 5 says this, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. <clears throat> God will repay each person according to what they have done. I would be failing in God's call in my life to try to sugarcoat this message or tone it down so that it becomes more palatable. I really could care less about what people think. About me or about the words that I feel God has given me to say. There are enough people that are sugarcoating the gospel today and they're preaching very little of it. You don't hear about heaven. You hear about heaven, but you don't hear about hell. Right. Right. You hear about the benefits of serving God, but you never hear about the negative of not serving God. Yeah. If there's a heaven, then there's a hell. And if there's not a hell, what are we all doing here? Yeah. If there's not a heaven, what are we all doing here? Right. The Holy Spirit does his work and he reaches inside the hearts of men and women and boys and girls and lets them lets the word of God be confirmed in their hearts and lives letting them know they need a savior some people are content to identify with God they're content to identify as a Christian identity is such a big buzzword today I identify this, I identify that, I identify with this, I identify with that. It's all about me and my identity. May I tell you that it's never been about you, it will never be about you and your identity. But it was because of you that it's about Jesus. Jesus died for you. And for all the selfish identity things that you have latched on to. And he says, your identity is not controlled by you. Your identity is controlled by me. And was set and established before you even drew your first breath. Yeah. 
My plan for you is known to me, and I want to make it known to you. And now that you've heard that, if you've never heard it before, you can say, I know. Somebody else can say, you knew. You see, we're responsible for what we know. When we know what the Word of God says, we're responsible for knowing what that Word says and if we applied it to our lives or not. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will, you will hear my words. You will do those words. You will follow those words. We're responsible. I was at a youth convention many years ago and the youth evangelist said, some of you pray the kind of prayers that Whenever you see a policeman, you say, Oh, Jesus, don't let me get a ticket! <laughs> you had no business praying that prayer the minute you went over 65. Because you know what the sign says. I found out a few years ago that um, my judgment and whether I could stop at a yellow light and my view of that changed when a policeman pulled me over in downtown Tulsa. I hadn't been pulled over in years. But I was turning left and I really thought, man, if I stop, I'll be like really putting on my brakes really hard. So as the light was turning yellow, I went ahead and turned left. And then there was a light in my rearview mirror that pulled me over. And he said, you're required to stop on a yellow light. Yeah. Contrary to popular belief, yellow doesn't mean go fast. <laughs> and so now that I know that, if I do it again, then I knew. I knew. I have no excuse. I'm not interested in being popular or getting likes or clicks on Facebook. That could interest me less. What really matters is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That night was Belshazzar's last night on this planet. And God's judgment was pronounced on him. He knew. Yeah. I don't want anyone here or listening to this message to be before a righteous, to stand before a righteous and a holy God and hear the words, Why are you here? You knew. Yeah. Why are you here? You knew. And there will be two different judgments. There will be a judgment of all the ones that have trusted in Jesus Christ. And there will be the great white throne judgment of only those who did not walk with God. I believe that throughout all eternity these words will reverberate in the, into the tormental, eternal tormented consciousness of those who knew while they cry out, Why am I here? I knew better. 
I knew not to come to this place. But I came anyway. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to end this way. Belshazzar could have used what he knew to follow the godly example of his grandfather's life and, and could have been a shining example of the one true God. He didn't have to live that way. While you still have breath in your lungs and a conscious mind and can think about and ponder over this message today, know this, that Jesus loves you. He loves you. Jesus loves me. This I know. I know. There are so many people that feel unloved. They feel like no one cares. They feel like they're at the end of their rope, the end of their existence, and the end of anyone who will reach out to them. May I tell you that whatever world you're living in right now, you need to put that aside if that's your feeling and that's how your view is and that's the influence in your life and you need to get into a relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus loves you. The people of God, if they are true people of God and Christians, they love you as well. Well, pastor, they don't even know me. That's only because they haven't realized who you are in a personal relationship. And we want to do that. Every child of God should love and welcome others. Whether they, whether they are children of God or not. And if you've had a negative or bad experience with a so-called Christian that didn't act loving toward you, I am truly sorry. But if they acted in that way, they'll answer for it. And they are not representative of the Word of God. Right. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. I know that many times, if you've been in church a long time and you learned that song as a child as I did, you get a sense of little ones are weak, but he is strong. Little ones to him belong. And you think of little children. I think of our granddaughter Journey. But I want you to realize the fuller context of this. It's not just children, but those who are beginning in their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who are small in their spiritual journey because they've just entered. I've seen our granddaughter grow from crawling to walking and now she's talking in complete under uh, she's talking in complete sentences 
a fourth of which we can understand. <laughs> but she's saying words and she's learning. And as a new believer, as a one who has committed or recommitted your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you're new in your relationship. Now, my granddaughter can come up here. She can walk to me. She can run to me. But if she, if she walks or runs and I could run or walk next to her, I'm not going to nudge her and push her over. But that's what the enemy of your soul wants to do. When you're walking in your Christian faith, new in your Christian faith, you still have some things and issues from your past that are, he's still trying to infiltrate into your life and make a part of your life. And you're saying, I, I want a clean break. I don't want to have anything to do with that. But yet there are reminders around that keep flooding your mind. And the enemy's like just nudging you, trying to get you to fall down. And what you do is do what my little granddaughter does. When she's going someplace and she may be unfamiliar, she'll reach up her hand and she'll hold, she'll hold my hand and I have my finger wrapped in her hand because my hand's so big. She'll, we'll hold hands and we'll walk. And if Grammy's walking by, she'll reach up for Grammy's hand too and we'll hold both her hands while we're walking together. And what you need to do is reach up and grab the hand of the Heavenly Father. Amen. On one side. And on the other side, the godly friends and the church family that you have that will help hold you up as well. Yeah. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I know, I know that Jesus loves me. I want to close with this verse this morning. In 1 John chapter 5, verse number 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Christ is born of God. If you believe that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, He's the Messiah, He is our salvation. If you believe in Him. That Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And then verse 2 says, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. I mentioned this earlier. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. I want you to catch what verse 4 says at the beginning. For everyone <coughs> born of God overcomes the world. You may wonder, how can I overcome all of this? I understand and I know, but how can I overcome it all? Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And if that must be your prayer, and each day you have to deal and struggle with all of these things that are around you and you're like, how can I get away from this? How can I not have it permeate my mind? It's because you're going to fill your mind and your spirit with the things of God. And if 
eventually there will come a time when the things of God and the Word of God and the fellowship with godly people will be such a powerful influence in your life that because you are born of God, you will overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith, our faith in Jesus Christ. Him alone is what we need. And there'll come a time when those influence will seem so minor. And you'll look back and you'll think, you know, that's how I used to live. And I'm not living that way anymore. They don't have any hold on me. The hold was broken at Calvary, but the realization that that hold was broken sometimes has to get through into our spirits and has to get through sometimes our thick-headed stubbornness of human nature. And we have to realize that we are not that person anymore. It doesn't matter what the devil says. It doesn't matter if you what your thoughts are when you have those thoughts. You can say, I have overcome the world because I have faith in in Jesus Christ. Now I can say, you know. You know. If you didn't know before, you know now. Don't ever let the words you knew be somebody else's words that say, you knew better. Yes, I did. Let any mistakes that you've made now in your spiritual walk with God be put behind you. And it's just as you've had in your human life, you've had places, times where you, you knew better and you didn't do the right thing. Just like, I can't do anything about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just leave it there. You can't do anything about what you've done up to now. But now what you can do is you can make a fresh commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can say, God, I'm going to go all the way with you. I don't understand it, but I know that I need to. Would you pray this morning? Father, I thank you right now for the word of God. I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, because you have provided a way of escape from, Lord, the pits of hell so that we could live for you eternally. And I ask, God, that you will just touch my heart and infiltrate my life in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, I just yield to you right now. I just receive you as Lord and Savior of my life. I thank you, God, because when I have trusted in you for faith in you for forgiveness of my sins, they will never be remembered against me. They will never be held hostage somewhere waiting to be let out, but they will be gone forever. And now, God, let me realize the love of Jesus Christ for me as I accept your love and as I receive you, oh Lord, I receive you right now and I believe in you. I trust you in the name of Jesus. Forgive me and let me be that child of God that I need to be standing strong for you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.